You know, I received a text this week from a friend that simply said, day 100. I was puzzled by it, of course, and I thought, well, he had a birthday a while back. Maybe he's saying it's 100 days that he's survived his new age. But then I asked what he meant by day 100, and by his calculations, day 100 meant for him that it's been 100 days that he has been in quarantine, 100 days that he has been in isolation. However you do the math, it's been quite a while for all of us, hasn't it? We've been 100 days working from home, a hundred days of Zoom, preschool, elementary school, high school. A hundred days of not being able to, to visit your grandchildren and hold them. A hundred days of walking and social distance when you go to the supermarket and keeping your distance when you walk in your neighborhood. A hundred days. It's quite a milestone when you think about it. And for everybody, it's been a hundred days of wondering how long we can keep this up. And it's having a unique effect on us. In some cases, it's, it's causing some memory loss. <laughs> for example, researchers at UC Irvine, they have identified 70 people in the United States, they have what is called HSAM, highly superior autobiographical memory. They're infected with HSAM. These individuals, they typically remember everything that has happened to them from a certain age, including corresponding dates and days of the week. So if you have a friend who has autobiographical memory, you could go up to them and say, Bill, back in 1994, April 10th, what were you doing? And this person would be able to tell you exactly what they did that day, what they were wearing, who they met with, what they had for lunch, and if they went to the movies, what movie they watched. Autobiographical memory. Now, apparently, these people are having a difficult time remembering things right now they are having a hard time remembering what they did just a couple days ago. Researchers claim that this repetitive schedule, that the routine, is dimming our ability to remember, to dredge up recent activities, recent past. And even some of the most powerful, people with the most powerful memories are not immune. <laughs> I don't think it comes as any surprise to us that these last 100 days have taken a toll on all of us. Under the crucible of quarantine, psychologists are telling us that we are all susceptible to a unique type of fatigue. It's affecting our memory, our moods, our emotions, and I would add, it's affecting our faith. Earlier this week, I was feeling a fatigue on an unusual, in an unusual way. I don't know if it was quarantine fatigue or not, but. I felt drained of energy, a loss of creativity and imagination. I talked with several members of our staff and other leaders in our 
area, other pastors, and, and they too agreed. They were sensing an exhaustion on a variety of levels. Now the people who know about these things, they say this can lead to soul fatigue. Our souls become weary and heavy burdened. Why wouldn't they? Our hearts have, are heavily burdened with the pain and the suffering in our world. The pain and the suffering that we're going through here in the United States. This, this disease that has hit us has hit many of the most vulnerable among us, and we worry. Not only is there anxiety about the future we carry, what effect will it have as we begin to slowly reopen things? Uh, businesses, theme parks, playgrounds, schools, churches. For some, it's creating anxiety. It's creating questions. Will there be another spike in the pandemic and the infection rate? We hope not. We pray not. But it still creates an unknown, doesn't it? In the end, we can feel in this soul fatigue separated from God, separated and distanced from what we really, really need and what we really believe and hope and what we love about our faith and our community. Our memories fade and we begin to forget parts of our faith that sustain us in the middle of a crisis, shore up our faith in times of uncertainty and we may have memory loss where our true hope comes from. As one Christian author claims, when we experience soul fatigue, we can let the little things begin to bother us. Maybe at your home and your family members, maybe there's a habit that one of them has and all of a sudden it becomes a crisis. It's difficult to make up our minds and simple decisions. The impulses to eat and drink and, and to crave and to spend are harder to resist when we have soul fatigue. And we begin to have less courage. There's a famous quote that's attributed to Shakespeare, and others have adapted it. Fatigue makes cowards of us all. Perhaps we forget how our faith in Christ gives us courage. Courage to forgive. Courage to show mercy. Courage to have compassion. Courage to seek justice and love kindness and walk humbly with our God. You may not recall, because of soul fatigue, but early on when we suspended our public worship, I invited us all to memorize a portion of a confession. It comes as a statement, a question. What is your only comfort in this life and in death? I'm having to look at my notes because I'm forgetting. That I'm not my own. That I belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. In soul fatigue, we can forget to live by these truths by that promise. The good news, friends, is that we're not the first to struggle with this. Jesus knew our souls would grow weary, as he did with the first disciples, as he knew the, first, the early church would go through. 
You know, we learn from the book of Acts where after the day of Pentecost, the disciples go out and witnesses and they have both amazing breakthroughs, stunning things happen, healings. People are responding to the gospel. But they also have some serious breakdowns. Things would be going so well and then there'd be persecution. Stephen, the first deacon, was murdered. Persecutions would flare up in all areas. And then there was sin and confusion would break down the relationships of the leaders. Soul fatigue, perhaps. Jesus assured the first disciples that he would send an advocate, the Holy Spirit, to remind them of everything that he had taught them. And one of the things that Jesus taught them comes out of Matthew, and you heard it earlier in Tenley's prayer. And Jesus says this to his disciples, come to me all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's a very familiar passage to many. Some have memorized it. Jesus is telling the church, he's reminding the disciples that when you are worry and heavy burden, I know that life is difficult. I know that you will struggle. I know you will get tired and worn out and fatigue will set in. You will feel isolated and your memories will fade and you will forget that I am with you. Jesus uses this image of a yoke. It's not a very familiar image that we have in our day. But in the first century, a yoke was farming equipment. It was used to couple two things together like oxen. Oxen would plow a field and the yoke would balance out the weight and they would each carry the weight together. It would distribute the load evenly, carry the burden equally together. Jesus' metaphor points to a partnership, doesn't it? A partnership we have with our Lord. It's important not to misunderstand what Jesus has said when he says easy. <laughs> He's not offering a life of ease here. <laughs> He's not offering a porch swing and a six-string guitar that we can waste away again. You know the song. Our aim is not to have easy circumstances. Rather, a life is to be filled with the Holy Spirit, a life joined with Christ, a life of grace. Jesus is contrasting the yoke that he is offering with the yoke that the religious leaders of his day were burdening the people with. Laws and restrictions, and they would pile more interpretations upon the laws and restrictions and burdening the people. And Jesus is saying, my yoke is not like a judgmental ruler or a bully, loading us down with rules and regulations. A heavy yoke to to weigh you down, a yoke of works. 
The yoke of works you carry alone. The yoke of work, it depends all on you to make yourself acceptable to God. It's all about you. Maybe you carry a yoke of disappointment, of regret, a yoke of shame or unforgiveness. Be assured, dear friend, that is not of Christ. That is not the yoke that he is offering. I often read the passage and imagined Jesus handing each of us individually a, a yoke. Here you go now, wear this, put this on, and go out and be my witnesses. But more accurately, Jesus is offering his yoke, the one that he has, a yoke of grace, an invitation to join him in this grace, to learn from him. I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. He knows that we are weighted down with many things, many burdens, moral, physical, emotional, financial, whatever it is, you fill in the blank. Jesus is offering himself to refresh and restore our weary souls, to join us, to carry our burdens, offering partnership in this life, a life with God. Dying to sin, we learn to live. Serving so we can lead. Giving so that we can truly receive. What Jesus is teaching here is a way of grace that's profoundly satisfying to the soul. What Jesus is offering grace is mercy and love. So when your soul is fatigued, dear friend, seek Christ. Seek Christ, seek Christ to live within you by the power of the Holy Spirit. The invitation stands. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened. Allow him to share your burdens, to share your fatigue, your worries, and your deepest concerns. The promise stands, and we will find rest for our souls. Dear friends, that is a challenge we face this week. Maybe you are feeling alive and imaginative and your soul is fine, but you know someone who is fatigued. Call them, reach out to them, encourage them, help lift their burdens, remind them of Christ's invitation to carry their burdens, to partner with them, to live with them, to encourage them. find rest for our weary souls. Gracious God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the reminder that we find in your word, the reminder of God's grace in our lives. Our weary souls find rest in you. In the power of Christ, we claim this truth. Amen. Dear friends, I want to thank you for your faithfulness in giving. We have a mission, and we have an outreach here in this community, here throughout the United States and throughout the world. And your partnership in giving makes all the difference. So thank you for your faithful partnership in giving. Amen.